You're going to love this. Just love it. Of course you will. Why wouldn't you? in the middle with you once again from Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast as heard on 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Oregon Central Coast, and coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org, on the Stitcher app, the TuneIn app, on the iTunes on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, and five days a week on Radio Sputnik. That's right. You can run, but you can't hide. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for another action-packed adventure. Uh, a big show for you today. A lot going on as uh, the week kicks off. Another big, uh, this is another bit of climate science nonsense is now making its way through the wingnut media. <sighs> Desi Doyen, our producer, Desi Doyen, my co-host on the Green News Report. You ever get uh, tired of debunking these, uh, these yes. right-wing denialist yes. nonsense? Yes, yes. I constantly get tired of having to constantly debunk them. Of course, they are impervious to fact. But it does need to be done. So uh, this, because this is not only going around in the wingnut media, but it's also making its way into the legitimate media out here in the U.S., whatever legitimate media we now have left. So I hope we can nip that in the bud a little bit here. We will debunk the latest climate nonsense, uh, even though you know it's going to be repeated anyway, anyway by the low-information Fox News viewing global warming deniers for years. But we will have physicist Joe Rome of Climate Progress here to join us to help us debunk the latest denier nonsense shortly. This week also the trial gets underway over uh, North Carolina's mother of all voter suppression laws, which is being challenged by the North Carolina uh, NAACP, by voting rights groups out there, by the U.S. Department of Justice. It is one of the worst voter suppression laws in the nation. It was passed by Republicans back in 2013, just just after the Supreme Court gutted a central provision of the Voting Rights Act that would not have allowed them to make pretty much any of these changes, which explains why they waited to do it until the Supreme Court gutted that uh, that 50-year-old uh, successful Voting Rights Act. Anyway, that trial begins today. And this uh, this terrible law, I mean, it really is. It is the worst voter suppression law in the nation since the Jim Crow era. That's how we described it at Bradblog.com when when the law was passed originally by the uh, Republican dominated state house in North Carolina. It is so I mean, basically, it is all of the problems 
with all of the Republican voter suppression bills around the country combined into one. It includes not just draconian polling place photo ID restrictions, despite any evidence of polling place impersonation in the state that that would be deterred by these laws, but it also shortens the early voting period. It eliminates uh, North Carolina's very successful same-day voter registration program. You used to be able to register to vote and vote on the same day in North Carolina. No, they had to get rid of that. Too many people were using it and voting. But it's also a laundry list of other ways that make it harder for people to vote. It eliminates uh, pre-registration for 16 and 17-year-olds who concurrently, who, who previously had been able to register before they turned 18. It outlaws paid voter registration drives, eliminates provisional voting if someone shows up at the wrong precinct. Now, they have scaled back. In just the past few weeks, Republicans out there have scaled back the photo ID voting restriction a little bit so that uh, if you don't have a photo ID, you can still cast a vote, cast a ballot, uh, so that has been removed for now from the trial, but uh, a whole bunch of stuff is uh, going to be on trial in this law. And most notably, whether North Carolina will have to go back under preclearance, the preclearance that was gutted by the Supreme Court. So that means that in the future, if the NAACP is successful here and the DOJ in the future, uh, North Carolina will have to get federal approval again before they can change laws because, as the uh, plaintiffs are arguing here, these are being done purposely to keep minorities from being able to cast their vote. Uh, now, the state of North Carolina says that African-American participation in early voting and Election Day uh, voting during the 2014 elections increased actually went up as compared to both the 2010 primary and general elections. But the voting rights advocates counter that uh, 2010 and 2014 are not uh, can't be compared because the because of the 2014 race between uh, former Senator Kay Hagan, a Democrat fighting to keep her seat and former North Carolina House Speaker Tom Tillis, the Republican who was elected. That was the costliest Senate race in U.S. history. And yet North Carolina is saying, see, uh, the, the turnout actually went up in 2014. Nothing to worry about there. Well, yeah, it went up because they had this huge Senate race. Of course it did. Democracy North Carolina concluded that uh, more than 2,000 rejected ballots would have been counted if the 2012 election law was in place, the previous law. That new voting limitations and polling place problems reduced turnout by at least 30,000 voters in 2014 had a disproportionate impact on African-American and Democratic voters. That 11,000 people who registered in North Carolina less than 25 days before the election uh, were unable to vote when they could have under the previous rules. So that is now all on trial, and that trial will be going on for several weeks in North Carolina. Then it'll be challenged in the appeals court. Then it'll go to the Supreme Court. So all of that is ahead. We will be talking about that. But it is very important because if North Carolina is put back under preclearance, it sends a message to a whole bunch of other states like Texas, which is also currently facing going back under preclearance for its law, its photo ID restriction law that was found unconstitutional by a federal court. That, too, is being appealed. 
Scott Walker is making his big announcement up in Wisconsin today that he will be running for president of these United States, hoping to get the Republican nomination. Um, and, and the contra, I should say the controversial Scott Walker, uh, because he came, uh, everyone came to know his name, I think, in this country back in 2000 and what was it, 2011, when he uh, stripped public workers of their right to uh, to most collective bargaining rights, most union rights. Uh, he and it caused a huge uproar in the state of Wisconsin. Caused 14, I believe it was 14 Democratic senators to flee the state. So the Republicans would not have a quorum to pass this bill. They were able to pass it anyway. Huge protests. And among the things that it also caused was a um, a phone call, a phony phone call, a fake phone call. By a guy claiming to be David Koch to Scott Walker. Remember that from 2011? Uh, Scott Walker was basically genuflecting for David Koch. Uh, in this call, that was all a hoax. We will have a good reminder of that uh, a little bit later in this show and my interview with the guy who punked Scott Walker, the guy who made that call claiming to be David Koch. All right, last week, uh, a tape of Jeb Bush being interviewed by the Manchester Union leader up in uh, up in New Hampshire revealed him calling for Americans to work more hours as a solution to the nation's economic woes. If only Americans would work harder. Here's what he had to say to the Manchester Union leader. People need to work longer hours and, and through their productivity, gain more income for their families. Yes, they just need to work harder. And if anybody should know, it would be Jeb Bush, born with that silver spoon in his mouth. Uh, he knows what it's like to work uh, long hours, doesn't he? Anyway, um... Well, as you know, as it turns out, of course, Americans already work among the longest hours of uh, of all of the developed nations. Gallup poll, uh, Gallup poll in 2014 found that uh, Americans employed a full time uh, employed full time report working on average 47 hours a week, while nearly four in 10 say they work at least 50 hours a week. Now, Jeb Bush has since said, well, I meant I meant that people need to work full time. There's too many part time workers. And that is true. That part is true. Whether he that's what he originally meant when he was speaking with the uh, with the uh, New Hampshire paper is uh, is is still an open question. In the meantime, Hillary Clinton made her first national policy speech since declaring uh, her run for the 2016 Democratic nomination. And uh, in this one, it was the first, she promises, of several on the economy calling on action uh, to spur an increase in stagnant middle-class wages as opposed to uh, CEO-class wages, which have continued to gone up, while the uh, middle-class hasn't. And she took the opportunity to take a shot at Jeb Bush and his comment about working more hours in her comments today. Inequality is a drag on our entire economy. So this is the problem we need to tackle. Now you may have heard Governor Bush say last week that Americans just need to work longer hours. Well, he must not have met very many American workers. 
Let him tell that to the nurse who stands on her feet all day, or the teacher who is in that classroom, or the trucker who drives all night. Let him tell that to the fast food workers marching in the streets for better pay. They don't need a lecture. They need a raise. The truth is, the current rules for our economy do reward some work, like financial trading, for example, much more than other work, like actually building and selling things, the work that has always been the backbone of our economy. To get all incomes rising again, we need to strike a better balance. If you work hard, you ought to be paid fairly. So we do have to raise the minimum wage and implement President Obama's new rules on overtime. And then we have to go further. That was Hillary Clinton speaking at the New School in New York City today uh, with her economic plan, or at least the, the first part of it, uh, speaking in generalities, by and large. I suppose we'll get to the, the hard policy stuff later. But, uh, you know, uh, she's saying all the right words as far as I'm concerned. But it sounds like she's reading them off a teleprompter, which, of course, she is. You know, she's saying the stuff that Bernie Sanders has been saying for 30, 40 years just because he actually means it. So who knows if she means it or not, but that's where she is. And obviously, Bernie Sanders is, is uh, successful in part so far just by moving Hillary over to what we will call the left a little bit. We may have some more from her speech. Uh, she talked about Scott Walker as well. We may have some more on that later in the program, but I want to take a quick break because I want to get to Joe Rome on this latest uh, climate science nonsense now making its way around the wingnut media. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Do stay tuned. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free broadcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Welcome back to the broadcast, Cold as Ice. Coming up in a bit, my interview with the guy who punked Scott Walker. Stay tuned. You're not going to want to miss that. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We've had a lot of good news lately in this country, but I, I think the news that we got over the weekend from the Daily Mail in, in uh, Great Britain has got to top it all. Fantastic news. It looks like global warming is over. According to Mark Prigg of DailyMail.com, the Earth could be headed for a mini ice age, researchers have warned. A new study claims to have cracked predicting solar cycles and says that between 2020 and 2030, solar cycles will cancel each other out. 
They say this will lead to a phenomenon known as the Maunder Minimum, which has previously been known as a mini ice age when it hit between 1640, uh, 1646 and 1715, even causing London, uh, London's uh, River Thames to freeze over. The new model of the sun's solar cycle is producing unprecedented, unprecedentedly accurate predictions of irregularities within the sun's 11-year heartbeat, reports the Daily Mail. Predictions from the model suggest that solar activity will fall by 60% during the 2030s to conditions last seen during the mini ice age that began in 1645. This is all according to results presented by Professor Valentina Zarkova at the National Astronomy Meeting in Landudno, I think is what it is. Well, fantastic. That means we don't need to worry about global warming anymore. Climate change is over. Here to tell us that I'm absolutely wrong, along with the uh, Daily Mail, is our friend Joe Rome, a fellow at American Progress and the editor of Climate Progress. Time magazine called Rome a hero of the environment and the web's most influential climate change blogger back in 2010. He was also acting assistant secretary of energy uh, with the uh, during the Bill Clinton administration in 1997, holds a Ph.D. in physics from MIT. Oh, who doesn't? And he's the author of uh, the book, uh, the books, Hell and High Water, Global Warming, the Solution and the Politics and What We Should Do and Language Intelligence, lesson, Lessons on Persuasion from Jesus, Shakespeare, Lincoln, and Lady Gaga. Welcome back to the broadcast, Joe Rome. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, thank you for coming by on this fantastic day when now global warming is over and uh, we're having a mini ice age coming soon. We have nothing to worry about, right? Uh, yes, uh, much like most of the reporting in the Daily Mail and the British tabloids and and the uh, conservative media outlets in the U.S. that pick it up. Um, needless to say, uh, I mean, one can make a good practice simply ignoring what they say or assuming that what they say is the exact opposite of the truth. And uh -huh. in this case, in this case, it is. Um, oh. Yes, there was a a news release that came out from a uh, astrophysics conference mm -hmm. in Wales last week. And as sometimes happens, the the news release isn't worded perfectly, and so there is a a uh, uh, one study that just came out that suggests that that solar activity might uh, decline in the 2030s, and even go so far as decline to the level that declined. Uh, many uh, hundreds of years ago mm -hmm. uh, in between 1650 and 1750. Mm -hmm. um, now, again, this is just one study, and, and needless to say, there are a lot of people who, who have questions about it, but the, the key point today is that it is true that there were some cold temperatures in parts of the world back then, and this has been called the Little Ice Age. Uh, but I go through this in the post, and... Okay. and the Little Ice Age got its name mostly because, uh, well, we, we, we listened to Europeans, and it was parts of the Northern Hemisphere that periodically got uh, moderately cool and got written about a great deal. But uh, as a global phenomenon, there's not a lot of evidence 
that there was very much global cooling. Yeah, they call it a mini ice age, but it was uh, it was really just a northern Europe that got cold for uh, a couple of decades. It wasn't an actual ice age. Uh, and you're right, by the way, Joe Rome. Uh, you know, when I saw this report, I thought, oh, it's just another report from the Daily Mail. I'll ignore it. They're always wrong. We always have to spend time debunking their nonsense over there. And then I saw it getting picked up over here in in, in legitimate outlets. Actually, uh, an outlet that I like, rawstory.com, had it at the very top. And I thought, uh-oh, we better cover it, better explain what's really going on, what they really found, and what's really happening. So the Maunder Minimum... If I understand this correctly, that was what happened. began in 1640-something, and, and the solar cycle was at a, at a very low at that time and stayed that way for a number of decades. Now, these solar cycles we're talking about, these are uh, essentially as uh, sunspots come and go on the sun, it sends out more radiation, and that can translate into into higher temperatures on Earth, and this happens every, I think it's uh, 11 years. It goes up and it goes down. Do I understand the solar cycle correctly? Yeah, there's a, there's a sunspot cycle that, that runs every 11 years, and, mm-hmm. and you go from a, a, a maximum to a minimum, and, mm-hmm. and it has slight influences on the temperature of the Earth, maybe about 0.2 degrees Fahrenheit, um, top to bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the in during this minimum, we we had several decades of very low number of sunspots, and this was corresponding. Uh, some of this overlapped with a period of cooling in parts of northern hemisphere like Europe, but the recent research actually finds that that most of that cooling was driven by volcanoes, and there were a a great many. In fact, there were two half-century periods during that time which were the most volcanic um, periods in the last 500 years. So uh, volcanoes are well known to cool because they they throw out particles and dust that block the sun. So the cooling effect of the sun, you know, definitely there was some, but it was probably fairly modest, particularly because the whole Little Ice Age was pretty damn little. Um, and the last point is that back then there weren't all these greenhouse gases out there. Mm-hmm. And the, the greenhouse gases totally overwhelm the, the create a heat-trapping effect that is considerably larger than, than uh, uh, changes in the solar cycle. And in fact, I, I quote, there's ironically a study... Uh, uh, just came out uh, last month that, that found that any reduction in global mean surface temperature ne- due to a future decline in solar activity is likely to be a small fraction of projected human-caused warming. So I think it's quite safe to say, unfortunately, mm-hmm. that, that humanity has taken over whatever, you know, the na- there are natural things that affect temperatures, like the sun uh, going up and down intensity, or volcanoes. But right now, humans have seized the reins on driving the climate, and we, we are driving it at such an intense level that, that even at this so-called maunder minimum, uh, if it happened in the 2030s, uh, would, would literally be a blip on, on long-term warming. It would be a few tenths of a degree Fahrenheit, you know, whereas we are literally headed 
for several degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, a rise of several rise, degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. For a warming of several degrees Fahrenheit, and in the worst case, as much as 10 degrees Fahrenheit. So a few tenths of a degree Fahrenheit aren't really a lot, and, and more importantly, it's all temporary anyway. And so, yeah, yeah no, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut well, you Yes, the point is, whatever the sun does, it bounces back normal um, level. So, you know, you, you can, you know, have, have a, a decade or two mm-hmm. that might be literally a few tenths of a degree Fahrenheit cooler than it otherwise would have been. But if it's three or four degrees Fahrenheit warmer, then, then you know, it's hardly, so, it's hardly noticeable. And, and one of the points of my post on climate progress mm-hmm. is that there are a great many uh, studies uh, and, and recent evidence that suggests actually global temperatures are in the process of speeding up. Yeah, and I want to get to that in, in one moment, Joe, but I want to just clarify this. So when this study, or at least the newspaper's coverage of this study, the, the, the right-wing Daily Mail out in, in Great Britain, when they say that solar activity will fall by 60% during the 2030s. Of course, that sounds like, wow, it's going to get really cold. The sun is going to just you know plummet in temperatures. But if I understand it correctly, what they're really saying, and, and the paper is misreporting this shock, uh, shockingly, uh, what they're really saying is that the the cycle, the, 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 that 11-year cycle we talk about that goes up and down, that that will be, that's, that variation will be 60% less if their predictions are right. We're not talking about an actual 60% drop in solar activity. Well, am I, I, I think you're right in the sense that even when the, we had this period of several decades of very low sunspots, mm-hmm. the Earth didn't, like, freeze. Right. You know, we're, we're not talking a very, you know, the, the total warming provided by the sun is, is quite vast. So, yes, we're, it, it is a relative thing. Um, and the other confusion that was from the news release mm-hmm. is, is it had this sentence in a prediction from the model suggests that solar activity will fall by 60%, as you say, during the 2030s, to conditions last seen during the mini ice age that began in 1645. But, but not to temperature conditions last seen in the mini ice age, just to the solar activity conditions uh-huh. last seen during the mini ice age. As I said, the mini ice age was very mini and, and, and may well not have existed at all globally. So, uh, and, uh, you know, and again, that was before greenhouse gases. So whatever is going to happen, and my guess is probably not, not very much, uh, <laughs> in the solar cycle, uh, it's 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 not going to bring us back to a little ice age. It's going to, at most, you know, mean a period of low sunspots and and reduced uh, solar intensity for uh, a decade or two. So you, I, I and and you're right. You know, it, this was just one study that came out, one, or at least one uh, a scientist reported this. I find it amusing. That uh, frustrating, uh, but amusing that, um, you know, one study comes out and I've been hearing from my uh, wingnut followers in my Twitter feed. We see it on all of the, the right wing blogs. You can't ignore it. one study comes out and, you know, they pronounce that uh, that's it. We're heading for a mini ice age game over. No more climate change. No more global warming. We don't have to worry about that. Whereas 
There are thousands, literally tens of thousands of studies from world-class scientists over the past, I don't know how many decades, that say otherwise, that say temperatures are going up. And, well, those, we can ignore those. They're not interested in those. Joe Rome, you write at climateprogress.org that right now we appear to be in the midst of a long-awaited jump in global temperatures. Not only was 2014 the hottest year on record, but 2015 is in the process of blowing that record away. So no matter what happens with this uh, sunspots story, you are convinced that uh, temperatures are about to skyrocket around the globe. Oh, yeah. There are a lot of studies to that effect, that, that um, w- surface temperatures have not risen quite as fast in the past decade as scientists had expected. Mm-hmm. Scientists had expected them to accelerate, and the rate and surface temperatures have just grown steadily. And uh, scientists have ideas of why that happened, and, and one of them has to do with, with the fact that the oceans have been warming at an accelerating rate. And so the Earth-ocean system is coupled, and it goes through uh, cycles where more water gets trapped in the ocean, and then more, I mean, more heat gets trapped in the ocean, and then more heat escapes uh, and is trapped uh, and, and escapes into the, land, uh, the, the surface temperatures, and those rise up. And um, it appears uh, that we are, in fact, entering such a period. You, you may have heard about this El Nino that has started and, mm-hmm. and recent news that it could be a very big El Nino. El Ninos uh, are a, a period of, of uh, regional warmth in the central and eastern uh, Pacific that trigger a warming and weird weather globally. But they are also known to initiate a process of getting heat into the atmosphere from the oceans, and uh, there is a fair amount of evidence that that is what is happening. And if this is a really big El Nino, uh, then not only would 2015 be easily the hottest year on record, but it's entirely possible that 2016 will be even hotter. So... um, it is, it is exceedingly likely, according to many, many studies, that we have entered a period where global temperatures are going to speed up. And there's really, there, there's no escape from the catastrophic consequences of human-caused global warming by hoping the sun does something. The only uh, hope is that humans do something, which is to slash carbon pollution and, and, and have a global a treaty negotiated in Paris in December and take action like the United States is doing through the president's, you know, EPA clean power plan, uh, replacing dirty fossil fuels with with clean renewable energy that lasts forever. So, you know, I, I totally recognize that, that the media, particularly certain elements of the media, which are, you know, quite uh, ready to jump on anything that, mm-hmm. that suggests that, that global warming may not be as serious as, as people suggest. But what's funny here is this study doesn't have anything whatsoever to do with how much warming will occur because of human carbon pollution. I mean, it literally has zero to say on that. All this is, so this study doesn't mean anything about the long-predicted global warming trend. All this study is, says is we have a theory a brand new theory that says uh, maybe there'll be a reduction in sunspots in the 2030s. Um, 
And well, anybody I, who cites this study to suggest that global warming science isn't real or somehow we are going to avoid catastrophic warming this century literally has never talked to a climate scientist. And I understand that the conservative media and the British tabloids don't like to talk to climate scientists, but I would hope that the other people, including Raw Story, which I like as much as you do, mm -hmm. but, but it, it does have that word raw in it, <laughs> and uh, this is a story, you know, climate science deserves more than, than simply looking at someone's news release or looking at a British tabloid version of some news release. Well, of course, and especially when we know what this the, the record for this British tabloid. I don't know how many times I've gone on air, how many times I've had to call you, Joe Rome, to help us debunk the nonsense that that comes out of uh, out of the Daily Mail concerning climate change. All right, I've got so with with that for now debunked, and you can bet your bottom dollar we're now going to hear this for a long time, Joe. That uh, oh, we're entering a mini ice age, nothing to worry about. One lousy report uh, that has been misreported, and we are now going to hear this for uh, for months, if not years. I'll bet you. That said. Uh, in the few minutes we've got left, there was a, a couple of other developments that I'd really love to get your quick thoughts on here. Um, first, we learned, uh, I think it was late last week, uh, from a scientist who formerly worked at ExxonMobil, or actually just at Exxon at the time. Uh, you know, folks seem to peg uh, James Hansen's, uh, the former uh, lead scientist at NASA, his 1988 testimony in Congress, describing the problem of carbon dioxide and global warming. Uh, they, they, they point to that as really the first time the issue of global warming and climate change went fully public. But two pieces of news suggest otherwise. One is this Exxon, uh, this comment about what went on in Exxon, and that in the early 80s, before James Hansen ever came out, 1981, I think it was, he, he was saying, uh, according to this email, Exxon knew about the problems of uh, CO2, of carbon dioxide, and they, they even there was a gas field that they were looking at that was something like 60% carbon dioxide, and they decided not to drill there because of the concerns that carbon dioxide uh, releasing that single point of carbon dioxide would have on the atmosphere. That was 1981. They knew, Joe. They then spent the next 30 years spending millions of dollars funding climate change denial. Should Exxon be held culpable the way the, uh, the tobacco companies were held culpable for knowing about the dangers of tobacco but uh, misleading the public about it for decades thereafter? Well, it's a very good question. I, I did uh, a post on it. My previous post to this one was, mm -hmm. was on that very subject. It is, it is very clear that the scientists that worked f for or consulted to the fossil fuel companies uh, knew that a climate science, global warming science, was real, and that the bogus alternatives, you know, uh, over the years that have been put out there by the climate science deniers, uh, were bogus. And yet they continued to fund them. They continue to fund them to this day because you may remember the the famous Harvard-Smithsonian researcher Willie Soon and the oh, story yes. that broke in the last several months mm -hmm. about how Exxon and the Koch brothers both funded him over the years to publish stories claiming that, quote-unquote, uh, recent warming was due to the sun and not due to human emissions. And, uh, in fact, 
the fossil fuel industry knew literally 20 years ago uh, their expert panel had debunked that particular theory. So, you know, I think, um, you know, what I said in that post is, you know, the Pope has come out with this, you know, 195-page encyclical saying that climate inaction is immoral, that we have to act for future generations and, and to preserve a livable climate on this planet. So I was just posing the question, if, if inaction on climate change is immorality, then what is knowingly spreading disinformation mm-hmm. for the purpose of encouraging others not to act? What's that? That's obviously, you know, a, a, you know, a degree of immorality that we don't even you know, most people don't even consciously think about. So, you know, I, I do think it is time for people to speak out and say that, that, that what the fossil fuel companies have done is, is grossly immoral and, and that all of this misinformation and intentionally misleading uh, uh, stuff that's put out there is, is it would be like you, you had a smoking habit and your doctors all said you need to quit smoking, and then some people, the tobacco companies, let's say, went around saying, no, there's no proof that, that cigarette smoking is bad for you. And in fact, there might be some, there's some proof that it might be good. Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of thing. So, But that's, uh, Joe, that's what they did. That's what the tobacco companies did. did. And they, they were eventually held liable for misleading the public about their product for so many years that they knew. I mean, they had to, you know, pay billions. And I'm I'm talking to, trying to talk with some attorneys about this and some of the folks who worked on that tobacco case to figure out if there is any liability that these companies have legally, not just, you know, morally, uh, but legally for misleading the public. Uh, I want to, because we are short on time, but this is another, I got, Joe, I got so much I want to talk to you about. This is another story that just broke today, and I don't know if you've gotten to see this yet, but this memo uh, over a Talking Points memo, Ari Kelman, um, a, a rather extraordinary memo from 1969 from Democratic Senator uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan. Actually, it was before he was a senator when uh, Senator Moynihan was working for President Richard Nixon, of all people. He was a, a, a domestic policy advisor. And he talks about, quote, the carbon dioxide problem. H- have you seen this memo yet? Because I'd love to read a, a couple of uh, graphs from this if you haven't. I, I haven't. Uh, I, you know, Johnson was aware of global warming. But sure, please go on. Well, well, President Johnson. Well, yeah. I mean, and actually, this is, you know, for those people who say that uh, oh, climate change didn't exist, we didn't know about it. Back in the 70s, everybody was worried about global cooling. Uh, here is a, a, a few paragraphs from this from uh, uh, Patrick uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan when he was working for uh, Nixon, and he sent this to John Ehrlichman, September 17, 1969. He says, and it's really one of the best explanations of global warming I think I've ever seen. It's simple, and anyway, he says, as with so many of the more interesting environmental questions, we really don't have very satisfactory measurements of the carbon dioxide problem. On the other hand, this very clearly is a problem and perhaps most particularly is one that can seize the imagination of persons normally indifferent to projects of apocalyptic change. The process is a simple one, he writes. Carbon dioxide in the atmosphere has the effect of a pane of glass in a greenhouse. 
The CO2 content is normally in a stable cycle, but recently man has begun to introduce instability through the burning of fossil fuels. At the turn of the century, several persons raised the question whether this would change the temperature of the atmosphere. Over the years, the hypothesis has been refined and more evidence has come along to support it. It is now pretty clear, pretty clearly agreed, that the CO2 content will rise 25% by the year 2000. This could increase the average temperature near the Earth's surface by 7 degrees Fahrenheit. This, in turn, could raise the level of the sea by 10 feet. Goodbye, New York. Goodbye, Washington, for that matter. That was 1969, Joe Rome. It sounds to me like uh, uh, Dan, uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan absolutely nailed the problem as early as 1969 and that's precisely what we are dealing with today in 2015. Yes, it's another one of those myths propagated by the climate science deniers that climate scientists uh, ever thought uh, that we were going to enter a ice age even back then. The, the, the vast majority of studies written back then warned about global warming, mm-hmm. uh, the media did, like they do today, glommed on to the, the, the you know, studies and scientists, uh, a relatively small number, who spoke about the risk of an uh, ice age. But this gets to the point that Moynihan was actually making, and he, he was a very sophisticated guy. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we knew uh, uh, back in the 60s, there's no question about it, and in fact, you know, uh, you know, the it, uh, over a century ago, scientists warned that, uh, that knew that carbon dioxide uh, increased in the atmosphere would trap heat and warm the planet, and and there there literally are warnings going back uh, over a hundred years. Uh, so, yeah, the, you know, the climate science scenarios have definitely succeeded in in blowing a lot of smoke into people's faces. But the bottom line is the bottom line, which is the human emissions of carbon pollution have been warming the planet for a long time. We have known the science behind that for decades. Many of the changes that we're seeing are coming faster than people thought they would come. So anybody who's there who says, you know, oh, this is going to be mild, no. Uh, you know, we already know we're losing the ice sheets. At a, at a much, you know, the Antarctic and, and uh, mm-hmm. Greenland ice sheets at a faster rate than we thought. So there is no more time for dawdling. Uh, you know, we've, we've bought this uh, 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 poppycock. I was trying to think of what the uh, <laughs> Justice Scalia line was. Um, jiggery pokery, Joe. Jiggery pokery, exactly. <laughs> jiggery pokery from the climate science deniers and the right wing for 25 years have delayed action till we have literally you know, about a decade to get serious um, in order to avoid, you know, very, very serious consequences. Yeah, and, and it's also, you know, it's amazing looking at this, uh, at this memo from 1969 and seeing a time before the climate had become so politicized when you actually had this, you know, this very liberal guy, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, uh, writing to John Ehrlichman in the Nixon administration, uh, and I guess it was actually John Ehrlichman at the time was the chief domestic policy advisor about the carbon dioxide problem and not even mentioning, uh, oh, how are we going to, you know, what are we going to do about our friends at Exxon and Shell and uh, how are we going to lie about this for them? They were concerned about the problem. It used to be a bipartisan concern. Uh, and I would say it was a bipartisan concern even as late as 2010. 
after the infamous Citizens United decision at the uh, U.S. Supreme Court. Joe Rome, I got to get out, but uh, always great to talk to you and so much more to talk to you about uh, next time. I'll, I'll have to give you some hell about uh, Hillary Clinton and the Clinton administration. I will look forward to that. In the meantime, read uh, Joe Rome's Media Blows the Story, Global Warming Speed Up is Imminent, Not an Ice Age, over at Climate Progress. Joe, always great to talk to you, my friend. Uh, thanks. You bet. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and come back with uh, the man who punked Scott Walker, who called him as David Koch on the day that Scott Walker is now uh, declaring he will be a candidate for president of these United States. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. Stay tuned. When the work's done here... We can support our families and pay our taxes and buy the things other Americans make. That's what it means when the label says union. Look for the union label. When you are buying Lockhart's dress or gloves, remember somewhere our union sewing, our wages going to feed the kids and run the house yeah. we work Speaking of the 1970s. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Of course, that uh, tune goes out to our good friend Scott Walker, governor of Wisconsin, who today is announcing uh, that uh, he is the 15th, 15th major candidate to vie for the Republican nomination for president of the United States in 2016. Uh, he, of course, uh, has made it his uh, legacy to be the one to crush unions up in Wisconsin, the home of American unions. And he's promising to crush more. Uh, Washington Post reports that Walker waited to make his announcement until after he was able to pass the uh, state budget up there, including, quote, red meat legislation that he can bring about on the GOP campaign campaign trail, that he can brag about on the GOP campaign trail, right-to-work legislation, which is uh, right to uh, not work in a union and have lower wages and have all the union people get you better wages anyway. Expansion of school voucher use, repeal a 48-hour waiting period for those looking to purchase a gun, mandatory drug testing for food stamp recipients, ban on all, all abortions after 20 weeks. So far right-wing stuff. Uh, but he was also trying to get a $250 million subsidy to build a new arena for the Milwaukee Bucks basketball team and uh, fellow Republicans demurred. They've been marching in lockstep with him for years now, but no, they backed off on this and now we ain't going to go for it. It ain't conservative giving away all of that free money. And then Walker went to the, uh, the Democrats to see if he could get their help, even though he's largely ignored them uh, since taking office. Nope, they didn't want to help either. And all of that is, of course, a good thing. As John Oliver said on Sunday night on HBO, when it comes to you know giving taxpayer subsidies to build Arena, it's a ripoff. In fact, a major review of almost 20 years of studies showed economists could find no substantial evidence that stadiums had increased jobs, incomes, or tax revenues. Or to put that another way... This one economist said to me, I love this line, he said, you're, rather than spend a billion dollars on a stadium, you're actually better off flying a plane over a city and dumping a billion dollars on the populace and just letting them pick up the money and spend it. <laughs> sure, look, yeah, that's 
So, yeah, it, it, it doesn't pay off. But uh, nonetheless, so-called conservative Republicans seem to love these giveaways, giveaways of taxpayer money to their buddies who own these uh, major sporting events. Uh, but anyway, uh, something that may be even more revealing about who Scott Walker is, uh, it happened in 2011. Now, remember that fake phone call between Scott Walker and the guy that he thought was David Koch back in back in 2011. And this was this was amidst the uh, the fight over union rights out there that uh, Scott Walker was trying to gut and was successfully able to gut when it came to public workers. At that at that moment in time, there were huge protests around the Capitol in Madison to support uh, these 14 Senate uh, Democrats, state Senate Democrats who fled the state to avoid a quorum so that Republicans wouldn't be able to vote on this uh, uh, gutting of union rights out there. Huge protests. And at that time emerged this tape of a phone call in which, it, and it turns out it was Scott Walker, but Scott Walker thought he was talking to David Koch when in fact it was a guy named Ian Murphy, the editor of the now defunct, unfortunately, Buffalo Beast Dot com, a, a great alt uh, newspaper uh, website originally founded by Rolling Stones, Matt Taibbi, by the way. Uh, anyway, he, he made this call to Scott Walker, and I want to play a little bit of this call just to remind you what what it sounds like when Scott Walker thinks he's talking to. Uh, thinks he's talking to David Koch and then a little bit of my interview at the time with Ian Murphy, the guy who made this phone call. Here's, here's a little bit uh, the beginning of that phone call. Uh, David Koch, not really, but David Koch talking to Scott Walker. Hi, this is Scott Walker. Scott, David Koch, how are hey, you? Hey, David. I'm good. And yourself? I'm very well. I'm a little disheartened by the situation there, but uh, what's the latest? Uh, we're actually hanging pretty tough. I mean, you know, this, uh, amazingly, there's a much smaller group of protesters, almost all of whom are in from other states today. Um, the state assembly is taking the bill up, getting it all the way to the, the, the last point it can be at where it's unamendable. Uh, but, but they're waiting to pass it to the Senate. But they're, the Senate Demo or excuse me, the Assembly Democrats uh, have about 100 amendments they're going through. The state Senate still has the 14 members missing, but what they're doing today is bringing up all sorts of other non-fiscal items, many of which are things that uh, members on the Democratic side care about. And each day we're going to ratchet it up a little bit. The Senate Majority Leader had a great plan. He, he told them out this morning. Uh, he told the Senate Democrats about, and he's going to announce it later today, and that is the Senate Organization Committee is going to meet um, and pass a rule that says if you don't show up uh, for two consecutive days on a session day in the state Senate, the uh, the uh, Senate chief clerk, it's a little procedural thing here, but can actually have your payroll stop from being automatically deducted into Beautiful. your checking account. And instead, you still get a check, but the check has to be personally picked up, and he's instructing them, uh, which we just loved, to lock them in their desk on the floor of the state senate. Now you're not talking to any of these Democrat bastards, are you? Uh, I, there's one guy that's actually voted with me on a bunch of things I called on Saturday for about 45 minutes, uh, mainly to tell him 
that while I appreciated his friendship and he worked with us on other things, told him why I wasn't going to budge. So that was Scott Walker thinking he was talking to David Koch, who was able to just get right through to him, no problem. And Scott Walker telling him his inside strategy. The, the call goes on for about 20 minutes. I'll, I'll play a few more clips here before uh, uh, I have this uh, interview with Ian Murphy. Uh, here, here was, uh, they were talking about crushing the unions. So we're trying about four or five different angles. During each day, we crank up a little bit more pressure. But the other thing is I've got layoff notices ready. Uh, we put out the at-risk notices. We'll announce Thursday. Uh, they'll go out early next week, and we'll probably get five to 6,000 state workers will get at-risk notices for layoffs. We might ratchet that up a little bit, too. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Gotta crush that union. Yeah, crush that union, uh, giving pink slips to the unions. He's delighted about that. Uh, he asked about uh, bringing a, a baseball bat with him uh, on, on these uh, discussions. In my sense is, hell, I'll, I'll talk. If they want to yell at me for an hour, you know, I, I'm used to that. I can deal with that, but I'm not negotiating. Bring a, bring a baseball bat. That's what I do. <laughs> I have one in my office. You'll be happy with that. <laughs> i got a slugger <laughs> with my name on it. Beautiful. <laughs> And then, of course, Governor Scott Walker talking to who he thought was David Koch uh, about planting troublemakers amongst the protesters. Scott uh, Walker says, yeah, we, we thought about doing that. We'll back you any way we can. But uh, what we were thinking about the crowds was, uh, was planting some troublemakers. You know, the, well, the only problem with the because we thought about that. <laughs> so they actually thought about doing that planting troublemakers anyway uh, i i spoke with ian murphy that was the guy playing the part of david coke who scott walker thought he was talking to i spoke with uh, ian murphy back in uh, 2011 about this i asked him how this uh, phone call came about how he did what he did and what was different about what he was doing than what this idiot uh, James O'Keefe does when he uh, makes up, you know, pretends to be a pimp talking with uh, Acorn and and then completely edits the uh, the footage to make it seem like it's something other than it actually is. Here's my conversation with Ian Murphy, then the editor of the Buffalo Beast, about his prank call to Scott Walker back in uh, back in 2011. What were you thinking when you called up uh, Scott Walker? Did you think you would actually get through? Not even, no, not for a minute. I, I thought there was no way, no way in hell. And, and how long did you, dis, uh, you know, did you think about it? Did it take you a while? Or was this something you did on a whim one day? It was on a whim. I woke up and I thought, oh, I'm going to try this. The thing is, the night before, I went to sleep thinking I would try it posing as Hosni Mubarak. <laughs> and I was going to call Scott Walker and express my support for all the fine things he's doing for the people of Wisconsin. So how long did it take you from the time that you dialed in till you were actually speaking with uh, Governor Walker? It was about two hours because I called once. I got uh, As soon as I dropped the name Coke, I got transferred to uh, the assistant executive governor. And she told me to call back. I called back and talked to the uh, chief of staff, and uh -huh. he told me to call back later. So, yeah, each time I called, I thought, uh, you know, the jig is up for sure. They they went through some back channels. They sent out an email. They did something to see. Because <laughs> the idea was ridiculous that uh, David Koch is calling with Skype. Uh, he's calling the number on their website, and he's waiting for 10 minutes at a time uh, going through busy signals and rings. You, you, know? you just called the regular uh, number on, the, on, on Governor Walker's website. 
the, that's right. <laughs> and uh, you had, and was there any skepticism anywhere along the way before you got to talk to the governor? Uh, apparently not. I mean, nobody asked for credentials, asked for uh, nothing. Nothing. No. Wow. Uh, and did you know what you were going to say once you talked to the governor? No, not really. I wish uh, I wish now I'd been uh, better, better prepared, but I kind of presumed that each time I called, I would be uh, found out as a fraud. So, <laughs> well, what was actually brilliant about it is you you didn't say very much on those calls. You did you didn't need to. You just kept, <laughs> well, the more you shut up, the more he seemed to be wanting to fill in the gaps with stuff he shouldn't be saying. Yeah, that's right. I didn't I didn't say much. And I think Tom Hartman put it put it pretty well when he said it sounded like Walker was interviewing for a job. It totally did. Uh, he's exactly right. Uh, do you think that your call made any difference politically in what uh, what actually happened out there? Uh, well, it did make some difference. I think it changed the narrative slightly. I think it uh, pulled the sheets back over the slime ball for what he's really doing. What's different between what you did in this uh, call as David Koch to, to oh, Governor no, Walker? Oh, no, no, and, Brad, Brad, no. And... Yeah, James O'Keefe. James right? O'Keefe. What's the right. difference between okay. what you did? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Okay, yeah. I've been asked this. Okay, the difference is. So you're uh, saying it's a lame question? Is that what you're saying? See, I was the guy who was instrumental in uncovering the fact that what O'Keefe did as that uh, pimp video in Acorn was a hoax, See, and I've been very critical of him. So I need to be critical of you, if appropriate. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. If Go it's ahead. Appropriate, but it's not appropriate. Why? Why? While we may use trickery to obtain information, he takes his information, his raw data, and edits it out of context to fit his conservative narrative. I would never do that to fit any narrative. You, sir, are exactly right. And the fact that people... Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, the fact that people... Well, actually, you're not exactly right. You call, You said he's oh. got a conservative narrative. He's got a Republican right-wing narrative, nothing conservative about it. But... I, I don't know these words anymore, I know. I can't tell what the hell's going on. I, I know. I hear you. Uh, but no, you're right. And, and the people who say, oh, that's just like what the guy did up there in Wisconsin, to, it is not. Because no. you you released... Did you edit your uh, your phone call in any way that you released on YouTube? No, I did not. Okay, no, nothing removed no. from the call at no, all? No, no. Okay, that's what people uh, don't seem to understand, the fact that James O'Keefe takes the, uh, the material and makes up crap and moves it around and make it appear yeah. as if something it was not. Yes. Okay, thank you. Just wanted to make that clear. That was a part of my conversation with Ian Murphy back in 2011. You can find the whole thing at bradblog.com. Uh, well, I think that uh, lets you know. And this guy, uh, Scott Walker, is uh, hoping to run the free world, and he can't even keep a fake David Koch from uh, falling for his shenanigans. Unbelievable. Anyway, welcome to the national race, Scott Walker. My thanks today to Desi Doyen, our producer, to Cynthia Cohn, our booking goddess, to my guests, Joe Rome of climateprogress.org, and of course to Ian Murphy of buffalobeast.com. Ian, wherever you may be, call me. All is forgiven. We'll see you same Brad time, same Brad channel tomorrow. Until then, you can follow me on the Twitters at the Brad Blog, and of course you can find me as always at bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.